podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello there. So we're back most of the way through game week nine, which was an explosion of normality after the Premier League returned following this national break. Although these days normal means Erling Haaland scoring a hat-trick, you know, a casual 23 points or something, as Julie did in the City's 6-3 demolition of United in the Manc derby just now. Back slightly earlier than usual, so normally it's the Monday night slot, but I'm ever so coolly out for my mum's birthday tomorrow, uh, meaning that we can't do tomorrow. And I'm also in a different room tonight. I'm in my study as opposed to my kitchen where I normally record, so my sound may be a bit different. Yeah, sorry about that. I'll do as best as I can in the editing. Normal service will resume next week. And speaking of normal service, after dooming poor old Abdul to a rather mere wildcard outcome following his appearance last week, it's just me and Lucy this week. You're right, Lucy. You had a good weekend? I've had a very good weekend, thank you. Yes, just recovering from a, a wedding visit earlier in the weekend. Um, but yes, hello. Well done to anyone who valiantly made it through watching the absolute dross that was Leeds United versus Aston Villa. Oh There's a couple of hours we'll never get back, but hopefully this episode will be a much better use of your time. We are Who Got The Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FBL. And you can find me, Lucy, at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. On the pod today, we'll be having a slightly shorter pod than usual due to scheduling around Tom's very hectic social life, as we were hearing. With a lot of wildcards played, we'll be looking at planning in FPL. How can you plan effectively? And then we'll move on to the regular scheduling, including a tentative mini league update with one game still to play the market forces before looking at some of your questions just so you know we're recording in the evening of sunday the 2nd of october unfortunately we've had to move the usual slot so we are recording before the Leicester and forest game on monday night football but hopefully that won't instantly date the pot yeah i mean i'm sure it won't right but this is why i tend to enjoy pods once all the action has ended um i'm sure you know, the conversation may change a little bit but i guess you know Building on that, fittingly this week, um, we thought it might be good to go over a more evergreen topic, as Lucy mentioned, which hopefully won't be, as I said, dated. Um, and yeah, It's a relegation face-off, Leicester and Forest. I mean, we're going to have Madison, I think, both of us, so maybe that'll make a difference to our OR at the end of the day. But I don't think this is going to change things. So, yeah, I mean, this week it is about planning an FPL. And I thought this week it was worth expanding on the point we touched on with Abdul last week, surrounding things like plans for navigating the blank game week coming up in game week 12, getting certain players in and out. And I guess after that, I reflected on my own ideas of how I thought the, the time immediately after my wildcard was going to go versus the reality, which was that I had to, spoilers for later, uh, take out Isaac after injury and international break and replacement with, uh, with Ivan Tony. But actually, I wanted to roll the transfer, and that would have all kind of fed towards a game week twelve plan. And I guess that made me think again about planning an FPL in general and whether we can actually ever plan effectively an FPL. Um, I think I used to be a bit of a planner, and we'll get into that in a bit. And I just wonder whether you know the question of being able to plan effectively or not. I wonder if it's a hangover from recent periods of disruption in the COVID-ridden seasons. That means that I, I don't feel like I can quite plan like I used to anymore. 
Um, I don't know whether it's that or just lived experience of many years, which has just taught me that FPL is too dynamic to plan around. So yeah, I, I guess it was worth a chat about that. It's just an interesting topic in and of itself, the more I thought about it. And I've had a few kind of conversations online about it as well um, this week. So yeah, it was one of the things that was kind of top of mind when we're thinking about what we do tonight. So I mean, planning an FPL, Lucy, what's your approach to it and has it changed over the years? Um, I don't think it's changed too much. Although, as you said, I think it's inevitable that the kind of COVID experience we've had recently has made us a little bit more cautious about kind of over planning or thinking too far ahead. I think there was a time when any planning was virtually impossible. And I think we may be assumed that this season might be a return to business as usual. Um, obviously, with the postponements as a result of the Queen's death and the first of what I'd expect to be multiple postponements due to strikes that's not been the case um and i think that probably has caught people off and probably why we, we're kind of discussing it now is that we might have thought well now you can return to perhaps kind of pre-covid habits and, and think about planning in a bit more detail than you perhaps were allowed to during the covid uh kind of period where to be quite honest you were pretty much surviving week to week and that was where i re i really struggled kind of thing um I wouldn't say I was a super planner. Um, so it's not like being a devastating kind of experience over the last couple of years. But I think it has kind of forced me to slightly peel back on kind of how flexible I am and kind of think a bit more about where I kind of potential exit routes and where I could um, find alternatives. I think it's important to acknowledge that turbulence isn't necessarily a bad thing even if you are a planner so I think Abdul touched on it last week in the sense that you will sometimes experience positives as a result of turbulence because you're a more engaged manager I think the the, the kind of qualifying point against that is that we are a much larger pool of engaged managers so pre-covid you could be quite sure of turbulence being advantageous whereas now there's a there are a lot more managers kind of fighting over fixtures. There are a lot more aware managers when it comes to kind of blanks and things. So it's not perhaps as advantageous as it once was, which again, you know, makes planning perhaps a bit more important. Mm. But yeah, I don't I don't have very fixed plans when it comes to planning, but I like to think ahead, if that makes sense. I think that's kind of where you are as well. We we both think ahead. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I used to be so much more planned with my transfers. I revisited an old document um, I had on my old computer earlier on. And it was just full of passages like game week 21. Um, I could remove Koscielny, Sanya or Chiriches and I could bring in Ch Chico. Remember Chico Hernandez? Me? Uh, JWP or Ki Sung Young. Or I could bring in Livermore or you know Jordan Much. Why is Jordan Much on this? Jordan Much. That's not been talked about in FPL pod for years, has he? Um, <laughs> Um, but if Theo Walcott is injured, I could look at bringing in Oatsil or I could look at bringing in, um, you know, bringing in Welbeck or something like that along those lines. Is Adebayo something that I bring in? Game week 22, I'm going to try to do nothing here. Game week 23, Valencia and Oscar out for Oatsil and Lana leading up to game week 24 wildcard. And I had about 12 iterations of the, of the wildcard, which was, you know, consciously in about five weeks time. And I just, I that level of planning is something I just don't do anymore. And as I said in the preamble, I, I really wonder why that is. Is it because of that hangover from the COVID times, as you said, when it was just too turbulent and you were surviving week to week? Or is well, it maybe you realised it was just a sensational waste of time? Yeah. Is it simply just that I've come to favour, now I'm getting older, 
and more experienced and more time poor, just kind of thinking, well, actually, you, you can sort of you know, just go week to week. One thing I would say, though, is that it's not escaped my attention that when I did plan, I was getting very good results. Um, but I obviously wasn't doing a podcast. So you know, maybe that's actually, maybe that's an attribute of what's been going on. But yeah, I, I guess it's interesting to think about how the game's evolved over time or my game's evolved over time. But like you said, exactly the same as you. I'm likely now to favour having a rough idea of where I want to go eventually, but not going much beyond those basics. Like, I'm not sure it's just that I'm getting lazy. I'm, no, I'm, I'm still pretty across FPL. I'm still kind of seeing what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But it's more like I've kind of consciously quiet quit in terms of FPL planning, if that makes sense. Like, it's just one of those things that over time, I've just kind of thought, actually, the game's too dynamic and things change so much. And there's so many pitfalls we will speak about in a, in a bit that you could fall into with planning. So it's just not it's just not for me anymore in some ways, which sounds really weird if you're an FPL podcaster, but that, that that's kind of the reality. And I don't know, like with Abdul as well, we're thinking about kind of the main opposition between people who are kind of master planners, you know, the Ben Quellen types who know what they're going to be doing in like four or five weeks versus people who make it up as you go along. Like, you know, that's kind of the two extremes, isn't it? Mm. Like, where, where, are, where would you say you are then on that continuum? Oh, I'm going to sound so bland again and say somewhere in the middle because I like to say that. Um, I think when I start a season or there's a chance, you know, for a wild card, I like to have something fairly fixed where I can see it lasting for a long period. It was kind of what we took, spoke about at the beginning of the season in terms of planning a wild card where you're happy that if for five or six game weeks you couldn't make a transfer, you wouldn't kind of stress about fixtures or your kind of get your team falling apart. Um, so that's where I kind of like to have a quite fixed idea of what we're doing. And I think that was where we struggled with the second wild card where we said we're kind of wildcarding into something in transition, which isn't really what we'd like to do. We'd like to, again, reset for another block of fixtures and have quite fixed plans. So in a sense, it gives you more flexibility with transfers and you can kind of be a bit more on the fly because you know that the kind of nuts and bolts of your team are where you want them to be. Um, so that's where I would tend to plan a little bit more in terms of thinking a long way ahead with fixtures. When it comes to kind of transfers and, and the kind of day-to-day -day management of the team, I tend to kind of have the, the season keeper types that probably don't get touched that much. And then a few slots that tend to get more regularly switched. They tend to be the cheaper players because I think we've spoken in the past about having kind of more riskier picks. You tend to have kind of teams that are mid-table that might get kind of fluctuations in form. So they tend to be those players. And those are the players that I tend to have um, kind of loose plans around um but not like fixed ideas so i would have you know a sense of priority areas for the squad um where i'll likely need to make changes on particular areas of the pitch without having kind of detailed plans so i might have a loose watch list of players that i like to look at to avoid things becoming too knee-jerk because i think that can happen with those cheaper players you think oh that guy that's just scored i didn't have him but i could afford him and so i, I kind of tried to stop myself doing that by having a kind of tentative watch list of players that I might kind of rotate around depending on their fixtures but I don't tend to think more than probably four or five games ahead and even then I probably wouldn't think of using transfers immediately on that either um but yeah I think that's basically as kind of as planny as I get planning that's not a word you know what planning, I mean yeah it's <laughs> that's that's as far as I go I think I, I I used to have kind of a spreadsheet which was a bit more formalized but I don't think I'm I think that the time put into it is 
is worth it. So I, I tend to just keep things quite loose and fluid, but have a sense of trajectory, really. That's about it, really. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm, I'm the same. I'm, it, it, the whole thing I was thinking about earlier reminded me of that um, plot, plotters versus pantsers thing um, I learned about when everybody was upset about the Game of Thrones ending. Do you remember that? No. No, so it's basically the idea that when you're writing a book or a show or something, any sort of creative writing, basically, there's kind of two broad schools of thought. Like plotters, when they're sitting down to write, they plan everything to the nth degree. You know, they know where their story starts and ends. They've got a really rigid outline of how they're going to go. Um, and that could be a plus. You know, you never run out of writing juice. There's no writer's block or anything. But it can be a minus too. So if something does change, then you have to basically rewrite the whole thing. In contrast, you've got your pantsers, uh, so-called, because they're writing by that lovely American phrase, by the seat of their pants. Um, they've taken sort of, you know, they've got like a vague idea of where to go with, but they just start writing without a real structure and just use wherever the story takes them to advance the plot as they write it. And applied to FPL, obviously, plotters are these sort of master planners. People will be able to tell you, as I said earlier, off pat or send you a, a planner screenshot about how the team will progress over the next few weeks. And they'll almost definitely follow that said plan. On the other side, the pantsers are more kind of organic when it comes to planning FPL. Perhaps that's, I think that's the right word. You know, just, just see what happens. I guess you could say this is at less engaged manager to some extent. You know, those people who just buy whoever scored the last week as you referenced and kind of cross bridges when you come to it. But I mean, thinking about me in that context, I used to be a plotter, as I mentioned earlier, I died in the wall, but I'm now totally in the pantser camp. Like, I've got a vague idea of what I'm doing, as you said, where I'm going, but it's so rough that I'm not really beholden to it anymore. Like I've got that kind of, you said, loose watch list, didn't you? That's exactly how I kind of look at it as well. And that's the apex of my planning these days, which may be anathema to some of you listening. And that's totally cool. Like it's, it's an absorbing and fun thing to do, to look at what's going to happen, going ahead and have a, a better idea of what you're going to do. But for me, to sum up in one word, it's just flexibility. Like I know we use that word more than a hardcore yoga and Pilates devotee in preseason, but nonetheless, I feel like that's just so important in FPL these days because things change so quickly. And I just feel like any plans that you make now fail to anticipate the random external shocks, which just completely destroy any sort of thing. And the things that really give me the heebie-jeebies is when people kind of say, oh, I'm at 0.0 to be here in three weeks. That to me just makes me think, oh, come on, like, really? Like, it's, it's just not really something that's worth following up, especially if a spanner in the works comes to your plan. Then, you know, what are you going to do there? It's, it's really, um, you know, I've, I've had experience of exactly that. I remember it was first year of WGTA, I sold Salah before the Bournemouth hat trick. And that was because I had an injury to Arnautovic, I think it was. And then I decided, hey, you know what? I can, I can, I, I've now got a way to progress my plan by a week, which involves selling Salah before a fixture. And I went ahead and did it, and obviously, it absolutely pounded me. But it's just, it's just an example of how being too much of a plotter, as it were, can definitely lead to detrimental impacts. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really something that I, I'd like to do anymore. I mean, for me, it's, it's all about, and I was saying, saying this late riser, it's about future me now a lot. You know, I'll cross that bridge when we come to it, it'll be fine. Future me is a great guy. He picks up all the slack that I can't be asked to do immediately. The issue is sometimes it bites you on the arse. So work at the moment is everything past me in August, kick down the road to future me, who is now present me. And now I'm very busy at work, hence the early slot tonight. Hey, it is what it is. I mean, what sort of things in FPL do you say, yeah, you know what, future me can deal with this? I think you kind of started touching on that a little bit earlier on. Like, 
what is it that kind of makes you think, oh, you know what, I'm not going to bother thinking about that anymore, whereas before you may have been planning it a bit more? Um, I don't think there's anything that I would tend to knock down the road. I guess it's things like, so for example, last week we were talking about what you would do to get Arsenal players back after 12. Now, to me at the moment, 12 is too far away in the sense that 12 is kind of my hurdle right now. So I need to think about how I will get 11 out at 12. And so the sense that I need to plan beyond that kind of isn't really on my agenda at the moment. Like it will, when I get to 12, I will start thinking about life beyond 12. I don't think I'm in a kind of frame of mind to think that far ahead. And I, I think that's partly because I spent so long with FPL realizing that in a few weeks as much as you know good players continue being good players and we we shouldn't kind of knee jerk too much that there is a sense that someone who seemed essential four or five weeks ago might not be essential anymore um so I, I kind of think that I tend to look at a season in blocks um so it happens to be that kind of game week 12 is the next kind of punctuation mark in the season and then thereafter I need to sort of like reanalyze and start again um I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea because it means that you kind of tend to be a bit up and down in terms of how you manage your squad um but I just think in terms of mental workload and all that kind of thing I tend to just yeah split the season up a bit um I think obviously this season with us having more wildcards and no more unlimited transfers that also kind of lends to that idea that you'll sort of treat the season in blocks and anything beyond that block is kind of like a problem for further down the line um, I don't tend to work more than four or five games ahead. So if you said to me, oh, X team has got a great fixture run coming up, I'll keep a kind of mental note of that because obviously it's useful to know that those teams will kind of come onto the agenda soon. And I like to kind of keep an eye on the horizon in terms of um, those fixture changes. But I wouldn't kind of have specific plans about bringing those players in. Um, so that kind of tends to be a future me problem. I don't really think there's too much I tend to kick down. If, if if I know that there is, for example, a blank game week or a double game week that I need to think about, those tend to be the times that I do plan well. So that's not so much of a problem. But yeah, I I don't know if that's normal or not, really. Do you, do you kind of deal with it like that? Yeah, um, I, I like what you said about game week 12 being the next kind of key point which punctuates the season's course. It's a really good way of just making it feel more manageable and make the season bite-sized because then you can probably make best decisions without kind of making a huge time horizon for yourself. And I think that that can kind of create a lot of psychological effects, which I'll touch on in a second. It's literally, you know, everything beyond the next week or so, um, I, I don't really think about. Like at a push, I'll have a plan for some bits and pieces. Obviously, current environment, game week 12, I know that I'm going to have a rough plan for dealing with the situation I'm in. And if we have a discussion in kind of chip season, as you started to mention, I'll probably have more idea of where I'm going. But it'll still, it still won't be in detail. Like I see a lot of people, you know, and I used to do this myself. If you've been following me on Twitter for a long time, you probably know that I used to kind of go, oh, here's my plan for the next kind of five weeks. I just don't do that anymore because more and more I've played, the, the kind of ornate, delicate plans I hear um, that are mentioned everywhere just make me feel a bit queasy and make me think, there's no way that's going to happen. It's like rotation in pre-season of your 4.5 million defenders. Like that's out of the out the window by game week three. And it, it just kind of makes me think, yeah, it's best to always just, bite-size it really just make the season more manageable and make your decisions more about prioritizing 
the immediate gains rather than thinking, oh yeah, in five weeks I'm going to be here because you know in between points still being scored. And I guess on chip season as well, I'll be honest, like, I really don't find the guessing about the schedule interesting at all. Uh, I don't really get it. Like, I, I, know, I understand, obviously, why it's interesting to loads of people. I'm not knocking them for doing that work. But if you're kind of saying, oh, it could be, you know, a Wednesday in game week 23 versus a Wednesday in game week 36. Like that just reminds me of doing planning project logistics and timelines at work. And that's kind of the least interesting part of my job. So, I mean, with that sort of thing, it's always kind of like, you know, I'll take the so what of an, of an abridged version of kind of the what, which is all that kind of long calendar chat and use that to pencil in some idea of what to do, but it will be very much kind of vague. And <laughs> it sounds really bad, doesn't it? But it is always that way. And there's always the safety net, as you said, of good players tend to remain good. Those bandwagons keep rolling, um, and you know, a lot of the time it frees up a transfer or two. If you're just kind of saying, "Right, I'm sticking with this player," um, I think they're going to become good over a little while. But say, you know, our 5.5 million midfielder—that's where you can start messing around a little bit. So it gives you a bit of a safety net, I guess, in that sort of way. Um, just to mention as well, there's obviously a, quite a few behavioural things that underpin this. I've spoken a lot on the psych pod, so I won't go into too much detail, but a sunk cost fallacy is the biggest one. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things that once you've spent a lot of time, effort or money on the plan, you won't change your mind from it, even if better options present themselves. Uh, so a very good example of a set of students who were told that you know there, there was a course they could sign up to, which had a decent pass rate. They had to pay to pay a deposit to get on it. So they all did. And then they found that there was a free course with a better pass rate. The majority of the students in the experiment, though, stuck with the course that they'd initially paid for, despite the lower pass rate, because they paid to go on it, despite the logical, rational choice being to attend the higher pass rate course. And in FPL, you see sunk cost manifest all the time, from buying a player despite another one actually being better when it comes to it on the game week, and chip plans, as I kind of started to touch on, with people kind of committing early, um, despite something else being on the table with things changing in front of you. That's also linked to plan continuation bias as well. But to bring it to the present, game week 12, which we briefly touched on last week, feels like it's looming on the horizon, doesn't it, Lucy? And taking all of our sort of pants, uh, uh, vague uh, uh, approach to it uh, in mind, I mean, have you made any plans to navigate it? Like, Are you kind of looking to take hits is it managed transfers like what's the situation at the moment and, and how are you looking to plan for it very good question um at the moment i i know i kind of have areas that i definitely need to deal with so at the moment i have four from arsenal and city so one will definitely have to go and as we kind of discussed when we were doing our wild cards the initial plan was that that would be um kdb to Salah. And that's kind of probably one of the thick questions that will come up later on is whether that's still a viable viable move, given that City look amazing and Liverpool perhaps aren't still aren't quite where we'd like them to be. And, you know, does that create a kind of weird hokey-cokey situation where you want to immediately reverse transfer? Um, would you be better looking at Martinelli out, even though we kind of originally ring-fenced him because of the value he provides? So that that's a lot more in the air than I anticipated it would be at this this stage um but i obviously know i need to deal with one of those players so that's kind of there and i know that i need to do it but how i answer <laughs> it yet i'd have no idea to be quite frank and i also know that 
Sue Fowl is even more of an issue than I thought he would be. I knew Ooh. he had Liverpool. Um, yeah, I knew he had Liverpool for game week 12. So he kind of, I was already open to get rid of him. But given that he got dropped up, um, yesterday, he will definitely have to go. Um, so he's another one that I know I'll need to do something with. Um, as to how I answer those issues and also respond to any other issues that crop up, such as a Mitrovic injury, for example, I'm not quite sure. At the moment, my preference is to try and have two free transfers going into 12 and potentially combine that with a minus four if I need to. I think that's quite a powerful move that a lot of people perhaps have been reticent to do this season because it hasn't felt like hits are needed. Um, but I think having three three transfers on the same game week can be really useful. I'm trying to just keep my options open at the moment, knowing that those are the issues, the kind of big issues that I'll need to deal with. Um, so, you know, I haven't really committed to a plan at all, apart from knowing what the the questions I have to answer are without having answers to them. Oh, what a casual, what a casual. I know. Classic pantser behaviour there. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. Um, I looked at game week 12. I did look at it when I was doing my wild card as well. Obviously, I'm not blind yeah, to yeah. the fact that there was a blank coming up. And I've got 10 players for game week 12 now and a few dodgy fixtures, including Emerson. I've got in, I've got him in my team who, like Sufal at the moment, is a sub um, and also at Liverpool. So he probably needs to be sorted out. I've you know, been playing people like you know, Neko Williams versus Brighton. That's okay. But I do have Haaland, De Bruyne, Marcinelli and Cancelo who don't have a fixture. Um, and given current form, I may find myself selling Cancelo to give myself an 11 over the other guys. I mean, as you said, KD boy, KDB out pretty soon was on pretty much everybody's mind um, before, especially before the Bryson game. Like if Tony hadn't have come in this week, I would have given serious thought to doing KDB to Salah. Um, but now, is it worth me getting Salah? I don't know. Um, I just don't feel like it's worth it now until game week 12. I mean, City are still another stratosphere in terms of everything. Liverpool are still top um, four, uh, top four XG um, throughout the league and second for XG per 90 because there's a lot of, they've, they've played fewer games, but a lot of that probably comes from the Bournemouth game. And Salah was in the top four for XGI, um, but Pitfall of going on a Sunday that hasn't been updated yet on stats bomb. But yeah, same as you, I think I might just, my only plan really at the moment is to get two or three transfers for game week 12. Um, and you know, if I've got a role with a suboptimal team in game week 12 and so be it, um, I wouldn't, it's the same with, I don't know, blank game week or something like that. If you're planning not to use your free hit on that week, cause you think there's a better opportunity later on down the line. I wouldn't stress about it too much. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, again, maybe it's lived experience. That's what I've just learned over the years. As long as you've got the key men in there, you're all right. So yeah, as long as I can get there with two, three chances, I'm absolutely fine. I think that kind of underpins kind of what a pantser I am these days. It just, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll work itself out. I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, all of these things that would make some people absolutely squirm. Um, that's just me. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm comfortable with the discomfort of not knowing. And maybe that's just because my uh, I've got other things going on in my life. Who knows? And yeah, I mean, in summary, then planning an FPL. Can we ever plan effectively? It, it sounds like you know maybe kind of in chip in chip season it is one where you'll start to do it like that wild card uh, in chip season ahead of the bench boost. That's going to be kind of planned in some ways. Like you know maybe you'd be saying right wild card in one week roll my transfer and then have two free transfers to attack that week in the middle. And then I've got two free transfers to attack the double, something like that. But it's always very sort of bitty 
if I'm planning. That's kind of the way it is. And the rest of it, I just kind of see it as kind of a bit of a smooth sailing course where really I'll just react as things happen. And if, if I don't really feel like you know, making a transfer, then I just won't and have two free transfers, especially this year where it feels like hits. Have, I haven't taken a hit yet. I think this is probably this is this is definitely a record for me making it to game week ten without having taken a hit. Like it's unheard of, and um, but maybe it's reflective of the season. Maybe it's reflective of the Heine influence on me. I just don't know. And um, but hey, you know, it's, it's it's all to me something where you just aim for flexibility, as I said earlier on, and try to just keep conscious of things like some cost fallacy and just recognise that. You know, after I'm sure it, you, you, a solution will always presents itself. Just having a vague idea tends to be all right. I mean, that's my take. Uh, Lucy, agree? Yeah, broadly, I think I think it's important to have an idea of where you're going in the loosest sense, so that you kind of keep things vaguely on track for the medium term, that you don't become too knee jerk. Um, so I think it's it's good to have a sense of where you might be going. I just wouldn't be too fixed about how you do it. That's not to say, though, that you definitely can't be a super planner. Like, I can understand how you could be a planner. I just don't have the time to rip up my plan every time someone gets injured and start all over again. Um, if you if you enjoy that, that's not to say, you know, that your way of playing isn't a good way of playing. It's just that at this moment in time in my life, do I really want to commit to that? I don't think so. Um, so, yes, I think loose ideas um, with medium term goals is basically how I would summarize it. Lovely. Right. Well, that section went as planned. Let's take a break there and move on to the back section in time with the team reviews just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cool. Right. We're back. And let's just give a quick update on how our teams are doing. We've both got 10 players played, one to go Madison tomorrow, but it's been a fairly decent week, hasn't it, Lucy? Um, how, how have you done? No, it's not really been a decent oh, sh Shaking. Shaking your head. Yeah, well, basically, our teams are now basically Bowen versus Zahar, and I'm the one without Bowen, so you can tell how I'm feeling. Um, I have 73 points, bailed out after a horrible Saturday uh, by Kevin Harlan's afternoon. I'm currently on a 50k-ish red arrow, so from about 125k to 175k. Um, so I haven't enjoyed this weekend of football for many reasons, also including the fact Southampton suck at football. Um, I now need double digits from Madison just to stand still effectively. I had a quick look on live FPL. If he gets 10 points tomorrow, I get a tiny, tiny green out of it. Um, so, yeah, so really the difference between a good week and a bad week is the one player I don't have. Over to you, Tom. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I do have I do have Jared, Jared Bowen who has shown up after many weeks of not doing anything. A very, very dodgy assist. Like, I, I, I just can't. That I, I, Mark Sutherland was saying it's in the rules of why that's an assist but dear me that was that was incredibly lucky but I'll take it where it comes and obviously a, a decent goal with a swivel in the finish um, so yeah Bowen the big difference for me this week with the 14 pointer a 5% effective ownership where I am that's really really decent um, me and Luce both did the same move uh, Isaac out for Tony um, which was obviously not amazing um, but yeah Kevin De Bruyne Holland. It was one point though, as opposed to zero points from Mitrovic. So really, what a what a success that was. Exactly, exactly. But Dom Slanky got two points. So who's the real losers here? Mm. Uh, yeah. So eighty-five points for me takes me up to I think it's like thirty-seven k after the benches, which is good. And then Madison to go. So hopefully I can I'll be kind of here or hereabouts uh, once everything comes to bed. So yeah. Pretty decent first week back, actually. A lot of it is just obviously masked by the fact that Holland's got a 46. Um, but overall, yeah, that Bowen haul was 
very, very much needed. That's for sure. Right, uh, move on to the market forces then, see if people actually are buying in Bowen. Um, and no, no, they're not, because Leo Trossard um, has been bought by the majority. So 275,000 transfers in for Trossard already, and um, a bit of a dodgy price rise that FPL Statistics um, on Twitter had to give a statement about why he rose, despite kind of having no indicators of him being anywhere near it. But he'll definitely rise now. Um, good to see him score, actually. Uh, in Talisman Theory, I backed him pretty heavily as being somebody worth watching this year. So... More goals, please, Leo, and make me look very clever, which is always quite nice. Elsewhere, Kieran Trippier, 140,000 transfers in. And as a result of tonight, Foden, 135,000 transfers in. And De Bruyne, 122 transfers in. And Saliba, still being bought, 80,000 transfers in for the Arsenal defender. On the other side, and we'll talk about these probably in just a bit, Trent, 208,000 transfers out for him. A bit of a dodgy moment with the assist that never was for Webster's own goal like if uh bowen was given the assist for nudging it i've not i just don't understand how sanchez kind of glancing it and that hitting webster doesn't still count as an assist for trent but hey uh, 178,000 transfers at uh, 100 sorry 210,000 transfers out for him sorry uh, mitrovic uh loads people have seen enough and i think every year he just looks amazing until I buy him. I think that's just yeah. Been my I have experience. the same problem. I curse him every time I touch him. Yeah, terrible, absolutely awful. One hundred eighty thousand transfers out. I'm really hoping that he's he was just withdrawn because they were screwed anyway. Um, with, with... yeah, I mean, if you you weren't if you had any doubt about him, you were just going to haul him off, weren't you? Because there was no point in keeping him on down. You know, ten men and what was it? Was it two nil, three nil at that point? Yeah, three nil down, something okay, like that. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot there was a random Fulham sucker punch because with the losing the Pope clean sheet, but I can't really complain at the moment, can I? <laughs> at the time, I was complaining, but now I'm now I really can't. Oh. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's Stalin, uh, still is being sold by 160,000 people. Um, has been sold by 160,000 people. It went down to 12.8 uh, over uh, on Friday night, which I think caught a few people out um, who had made the transfer from KDB to Salah. Uh, so yeah, so twelve point eight means that our KDB fund is our Salah fund is intact again after buying Tony and Kulusevski and Luis Diaz uh, both been sold by about seventy five thousand managers makes up the top five. So yeah, lots of movement basically based on who's done goals and points this game week, which is not a surprise to anybody. Right, and in the mini league, I'm going to give a very very quick update to say that there's a new man up top. It is Dog Inga Stenhaug uh, with Stenhaug United. A massive 107 points for him. Uh, Captain Holland has brought in Madison. But yeah, we've had Foden, had Bowen, and uh, he and Henry Dean back of the Neto in fifth. Uh, both benefit from having that set up effectively. Everyone, the captain Holland, last week's number one, I think is captain Madison. So he's fallen down, but yes, uh, Daginger up top at the moment and loads of new individuals in the mini league, but I'm going to leave it because next week we'll give a full update because it's still one game to go and things could change. Right. And let's move on to the questions. Uh, obviously just on Twitter this week, uh, as opposed to ones that we'd have a chance to properly go into, but quick fire round, nothing wrong with doing that every now and again, is there? Um, and I think we will start with, uh, well, on, there's, there's two that I think we should just mention here. Uh, Matt at Leafy Dragon FPL asked, when will the pain end? And uh, Adam above average FPL uh, said, would you sign a petition to remove game week nine for future FPL seasons? Now, as somebody who last year was on the wrong side of Havertz versus Salah, I just 
I don't know how to say it, undoucheally. My heart goes out to you. I empathize with you. I know those feels, bro. And it's one of those things where I, I completely understand how it must feel and from having been there myself. But it, it will get better. The only thing that I would say that I didn't do last year is that as soon as that happened, I started playing an incredibly boring game. And if I had my chance again to try to work my way back from the habits thing, I'd probably probably take a few more risks because that's probably the only way you're going to be able to resurrect your season in some ways if one of them, one of them comes off. Um, what do you think, Lucy? I mean, uh, if I mean, you're in that situation. The only thing I would say is that because we have the World Cup unlimited transfer thing, there are probably more ways to leverage improvement than there would normally be. Um, so I wouldn't tend to panic just yet. Um, I think we'll get onto it, but a couple of people are asking, you know, um, we're a long way behind. Should I keep captaining Haaland? Yes, because he's really good at football. Um, I don't think you need to, to panic too much and, and take unnecessary risks. But at the same time, you probably do need to take a few few more risks. I just, I'd just be quite calculated about them and I wouldn't take them in, in places where they could really hurt you if they backfire. You know, if you come across this situation again, I wouldn't necessarily by default think, oh, I've, well, I went against it before and it went wrong, but I have to do it again if I'm going to improve. That's not necessarily the case. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't force kind of difference unless unless you think that there's real kind of opportunity in it. Um, I have managed to, by the way, be the right side of both of those game week nine captaincy decisions and still get a red arrow in both, which really is a triumph in itself. Skillful, definitely skillful. It was FPL Shoreham's question on whether you, if you are struggling this game rank, whether you keep capsting Holland or if you go harder on the differentials and kind of keep him there. I think that's probably the way, isn't it? Yeah, you 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 can't just 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 hope that a player that's really good and is scoring at will will stop. I think it's just a silly thing to drop into. You're going to have to probably leverage some other things elsewhere and look at maybe what your other premium is and, and whether you can change things around there. But I just wouldn't kind of risk your captain for the sake of it, kind of bet against someone that's doing really well just because you need it to go well. Like that's the willing stuff doesn't really work. So I just, I wouldn't do that. I think I see um, players do that kind of season after season. You have a bad start. You think you need to take, chances and you take it in the wrong areas um and i don't think captaincy at this moment in time is anything to take a risk with yeah i mean that season i did sell salary i didn't get him back for a while because i thought yeah no i've got double down i know i just said earlier on you gotta take a few risks but not the captaincy that's for sure that's one of the bit that's the biggest gainer and the biggest loser about fpl as we all know and that i think it's just the case of just captaining the guy and using your differentials uh, where you can um, that might mean taking a punt every now and again, or it may mean just doing what, like maybe Bowen or something, trying to get on them before they actually show any form. They've got the fixtures there. Fantastic. Take a punt. Hope it goes well. And if it does go well, um, hopefully your rank will rock it. I mean, the difference between you and me this week has been Bowen. And I think he's a good example. Those 8 million kind of ish midfielders are probably where there is an opportunity to kind of get something different out of the game. Um and that has literally decided a green arrow or a red arrow. So I think it's that simple that you can you can find opportunities without needing to take unnecessary risks. Absolutely. Next question uh, from Andy, Andy Penman. Cancelo, 
is Cancelo actually playing like a defender who's worth 7.1 million? And if he isn't, who is? So I mean, spoke about how the defence had fallen short of expectations last week and you know, Rhys James, Cancelo this week, again, falling short of our expectations. It's, and obviously, we'll talk about Liverpool in just a second as well in terms of Trent. Is there anybody in that defence at the moment that you think is worth owning over Cancelo? I just don't really know what I, where I'm going to go with it. So I think I might just leave him there by default, which is decidedly unsexy, but I think that's the way I'm going to look at it. What about you? Yeah, I'm very much the same. I think it would be a different story if Trent was performing a lot of the time and you had to decide between them, but he, he's not. In fact, Cancelo looks comfortably the better option at the moment. Um, I think Man City look a lot much, <laughs> a lot better as a prospect for clean sheets than Liverpool. And then you're like looking at the next session on down, and it's not really filled with much option either. James hasn't really looked like doing anything. I, I'm kind of at a position now where I'm like, yeah, Cancelo probably isn't delivering great value. But if I was to get rid of him, I don't really know what I'd do with the money. You know, your £8 million midfielders aren't going to become premium midfielders with a bit more money. Um, you're not going to be able to get Kane with Cancelo money. So I don't, I don't really see the problem with keeping him. And if Trent, you know, starts delivering points, they're quite easy to switch between. So, yeah, I know I kind of get the frustration with Cancelo, but man, I don't really see him as a priority transfer in any way, really. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same. I mean, there's loads of questions that I think kind of speak to the sense of inertia a little bit. So FPL mm. Sears asked, you know, with our teams populated by players from lesser teams, are we more likely to get itchy fingers? Uh, FPL Oakwell is asking for any kind of fun midfield differentials to be had ahead of the game week 13 wild card. Um, I, I, it's one of those at the moment where I just I just feel like even though there has been a change in the personnel that comprises what. The, the optimal team in inverted commas probably is or the template team in terms of EO it's still the case that it's really down to one or two players as we've heard with Bowen versus Zaha um, and I just I, I'm not sure whether forcing a massive differential if you just just for the hell of it is going to be the best thing um, that said the more I look at it the more I struggle to really pick out somebody I think, you know, Trossard's probably going to be the one that most people are going to go to now after the hat-trick. And you know, Brighton's fixtures, Spurs, yeah, Brentford, Forest. They are, but you know, if he's playing in the front two, you know, alongside Welbeck, who's looking, who's very much seems to look to be kind of his accomplice in many ways, he could be one worth looking at. But you know, the top scorer midfielder has currently got 53 points. That's really, really low. As I said last week, in terms of this, in terms of any year of this, of this kind of milestone, so it kind of feels like there's there's still more to come there. Um, it feels like there's more to come everywhere, really. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a silly thing to say, but I don't really feel like you know I'm blown away by anyone apart from Haaland. Yeah, it's it's definitely been one of those, hasn't it, where the players who have eked out a bit of performance in the beginning have stuck in our team. So the only one I would maybe kind of look at from left field is the return of Rodrigo, who I noticed played uh, this yes. week, uh, this evening for Leeds. Down 6.3 now, Palace, Arsenal, Leicester, Fulham next four. is not the most fantastic run of fixtures in the world, but we know he's out of position. Um, and he and Bamford maybe will dovetail together. Um, but I don't go. know, yes. My only problem with him is I don't really know whether they're just trying to get min- you know, gradually build minutes with Bamford, because I know that when they tried to put him back in last time, he picked up another injury. So I don't know if they're just being quite cautious with Bamford and eventually it will just be Rodrigo playing second fiddle to Bamford. 
Um, but yeah, I, he could be an interesting one. But I do wonder if he's just on our radar because he's already high up the high up the scoring ranks. If that makes sense, I don't know if we'd necessarily look at him otherwise. Yeah, there's there's also um, Jack Harrison there too. But I mean, we are literally throwing names out now without much justification for them, and it feels yeah, like that's that's where we are with this inertia at the moment. Yeah, and Sinistera took himself off the off the menu, unfortunately, <laughs> in a rather brutal way, really, um, because he was one that I think a couple of people were looking at. Yeah, um, not great, is it, really? Um, no. Next question, FPL Geezer. I think tongue-in-cheek asks, am I too late for the Dom Solanke train? So <laughs> people were saying, obviously, four fi- he had four good fixtures. He's still got three good fixtures on the list. Uh, Leicester, Fulham and Southampton. I would say that the data in that game in terms of attack for Bournemouth are absolutely atrocious and Slanky, I think, a one-shot. Um, and that's kind of what you'd expect from a player of that level. Um, obviously, Tony didn't score either, but um, I, I still think you know, the expectations have got to be incredibly low. But if Slanky does mean that you're able to afford somebody who suddenly becomes a must, so say you kind of saw Bowen's performance and think, oh, you know, that's the start of the train. And I need to be able to upgrade somebody to Bowen to make that work. So maybe you would remove a Mitrovic for Solanke to get Bowen in. Um, so if, you know, th- that's kind of the way I'd see it. Wide eye, eyes wide open, enabler. He just needs to show up for you to kind of feel that he's been worth your time. I don't really want a player like that in my team, though. What do you think? Um, I think we're edging into now or never. I, I Three fixtures that are good and that he enables you to do something. Um, that that's fine. I think if we get to two fixtures where he he enables you to do something, it's a bit like, oh, are you looking towards benching him later? Like, where are you going with it? So I probably wouldn't be looking at him beyond this week. The only good thing about him is obviously he gives you that Mitrovic exit route that you were just talking about. Um, but yeah, there are there are three fixtures that are worth having, and that's about it. Now I probably wouldn't look up look him after this week. Yeah, just accept that he's. You're relying on lucky penalty or something, aren't you, really? Um, Bournemouth are not pulling up trees when comes they're attacking. Right. Liverpool. Uh, obviously, loads of people reacting to what happened this weekend. Uh, quite a few questions on this. So, FPL banger. Uh, do we really need Mo for game week 12? Um, Rocket J Squirrel. Which Liverpool assets worth owning? Martin H. Is Firmino worth a look? Brian. Um, when's it too long to wait on a club? Um even if they don't produce their sort of what we expect them of them in terms of performances. And Nayama asks if Diaz can cover Salah and Jen as well, uh, flying with Tokyo asks, are any Liverpool essential um, for the upcoming fixture run? So it's, it's just, they're still performing okay in the data and the models are still pretty high on Liverpool. Nonetheless, it really says something, doesn't it? If Firmino is the highest scoring player, that mm. says it all really about how the start of the season has gone for them 43 points for Salah uh, thus far obviously got the assist this week but not pulling up trees are they really in any way shape or form like Bernardo Saliba Gross Firmino as I said Trossard all of these players are outscoring Mo Salah this year and you know, Alex McAllister just two points beneath him as well it's just not been worth the money and I kind of feel like that FOMO that I always, I saw people kind of going, oh, you know, it's really hard watching Liverpool without Salah, et cetera, et cetera, when the game was on. But to me, I, I didn't really feel that this time. I don't know what it is this year. It's just, they're missing something, aren't they, Lucy? And it, 
for, for the next two, it makes complete sense to just ignore them completely because Arsenal versus them, I'm happy with just Martinelli in that game. If I have Jesus, I play Jesus. The Man City game, I'm expecting Man City to absolutely whoop them. And then after that, the fixture run gets worth kind of considering again. Any plans for Liverpool or any observations about where they are? I mean, you're quite right. They're, they're not really pulling up trees. They look okay without being amazing. I think these questions around can Diaz cover Salah, can Firmino cover Salah? I think this is just kind of like a an impulse that we need to have some kind of Liverpool coverage. I don't think you necessarily need to look at them just because they're Liverpool. Um, ca- can they cover Salah? Well, they, they can at the moment because Salah isn't performing. Um, but do you want to cover someone that isn't performing? That doesn't seem to work as kind of like a psychological issue, really. Like, I feel like people are looking for something to buy from Liverpool because we're used to having Liverpool players in our team. And that's not necessarily a good thing. That's not to say that I think Liverpool are done and dusted. I keep saying this. They're not terrible. They're just not really where we expect them to be. There will be opportunities to buy them. I just don't think now is the time. Um, And I don't think unless Trent and Salah start doing stuff that I'm really going to give Liverpool that much of a look because almost in a sense, they're the litmus test as to whether Liverpool are worth owning that if those two aren't working, I can't see other people massively outstripping them. So I'm just kind of putting that on the back burner for now, seeing what they look like in the next two games, perhaps if they surprise us with getting results that we don't expect them to get. And then, yeah, reviewing them again at 12, because that's when the fixtures seem to suggest that they might be worth owning again. But I do think people are potentially looking too hard at Liverpool at the moment just because we've become so used to having them as staples in our team. It's the ideal jumping on point, isn't it? Like, as yeah. I said, with, with someone like Bowen, you own him and hope that the, the fixtures generate the form. And with Liverpool, I feel like we're at that point with them where they've been kind of downgraded as a club, as players from a club that you know, we must own and would kind of stick with. It doesn't feel they are quite there this year. Can they get back there? Absolutely, I'm, I'm sure they could. It's just the case it's not quite there at the moment and not worrying enough sufficiently for me to think beyond the next kind of two weeks that I'll then be looking at a player. But you know, I've, a few people who wildcarded this week into Trent and Salah, I've really kind of they've already said, you know, oh God, I'm not sure about I'm not sure about doing that, especially when it comes to Trent. Um, it just seems like he's just not quite having a Maguire moment, but definitely defensively is is pretty suspect at the moment. And obviously that's not why you own him, that's not why he's in your team to some extent, but all defenders need clean sheets and Liverpool just don't seem to be able to provide that right now. So, yeah, I, I, I would be concerned, basically, if I did own. I think I'd probably just stick with it now, given what's going on. And you kind of point to things like you know, Liverpool's still fourth in terms of expected goals against, so fourth from Boston, that is. So defence is still pretty decent. Um, I think non-pen non is kind of around fourth as well. So the defence is still decent. It's still there. It's still going. It's just that there's something about them when you watch them that says they're not quite at the level where they get a pass into our team, regardless of fixture. Um, and I think that that's kind of key. And plus, you know, we did leave money in the bank. Uh, Lucy and I both did to do KDB to Salah. And if you're not in that position, I, I wouldn't worry about it at the moment. <laughs> I'm sure you've got 
decent points from the guys you've got, be it Kane. I mean, if you had Son this week, maybe not. But if you had De Bruyne this week, absolutely fine. And it might might be that you know Diaz does eventually just look a better choice than spending all that money on Salah. You know? So. 4.6 million difference. That's like a, a backup defender's worth difference between the two players. And at the moment, does that seem worth it? Probably not. So, yes. But by, in two weeks' time, we may be saying, well, we know what, we said this about Liverpool, but hey, we've got no other options, so we might as well get one in. Um, I can see that happening. And it'll just be a case of punting on the fixtures coming good for them. Final question this week. Dan, the FPL fan. Hi, Dan. He said, the best forward to replace Mitrovic if he's out. Uh, this kind of segues us nicely onto transfers and captains. He said, it feels underwhelming. He's not got Tony. So to get Wilson, well, Tony gloves, Martial, um, Watkins, Dakar, meh. It all feels really, really bad at the moment, doesn't it? And, and, and last week over, over international break, especially last week, there was the interminable Slanky chat. I actually muted Slanky this weekend, which has been lovely. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> bliss on my timeline there's no nonsense from hindu monkey um but the reality is that you know, strikers although we were saying yeah the defenders have dropped off when it comes to strikers you've got a bit of a problem with quite a lot of them haven't you because you know, normally i'd just be saying well get jesus back but jesus has got the blank mm. so how do you manage it where do you go if you if mitch is out i'm actually looking potentially just rolling and i know that sounds a bit weird um, but because we don't really have clarity about who the best person is to go for, and because I got Tony last week, so that's that's kind of taken that option off the menu. And I don't think his fixtures are that good anyway. I was kind of targeting Bournemouth when I bought him anyway. Um, so, yeah, not really. I don't really ever like buying Wilson because I think he's a transfer waiting to happen. I'm sorry to be so negative on the guy, but it seems to be invariably that I get another injury where I pick him up. Um yeah, that I'm kind of at a point now that unless we get confirmation that Mitrovic is definitely out for a, a sustained period of time, which might force my hand, don't know. I am still leaning towards a role on the basis that two free transfers would give me a bit more flexibility about what I was doing with that money and where I'm reimbursed and all that kind of stuff. So I might go there um, because... It's really frustrating because part of the reason we played our wild cards was to restructure and look at three up top. But we've just had Izak taken off, off, Mitrovic taken off, Jesus has, as you said, become a non-option. It's just a bit, it's a bit disappointing, really, a bit deflating that we've gone to all this effort and it's not really paid off. And the kind of redeeming quality is that no no category seems to be absolutely firing at the moment, so you don't feel like you've wasted your money. But it's not ideal. So I am, yeah, trying to keep my options open as much as possible and not really plan a transfer if I can. As I said earlier, I think Solanke is in last chance saloon, so if you're going for him, you'll have to go this week, I think. And I haven't completely taken that off, off the cards. But, yeah, it's gone a bit flat. It's a bit disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you. I think that I'd be looking to use an opportunity to roll it if Mitch, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, maybe it's conspiracy theory, but I'm just assuming there's an earlier on that he was just withdrawn because obviously he had the issue from international duty. And they're like, sod it, we aren't winning this anyway. Let's just get him off and rest him up for next week. Um, if, if, he's, if he's out, I'm honestly probably just going to play Neko Williams against Aston Villa because mm. Villa watch i've watched them a couple of times this season and as you said both times i've I've wished i could get that time back 
because yeah. they, they are just doing nothing. I'm sure that they can score against Forest. Like anyone can score against Forest, right? So if we say that, then tomorrow they keep a clean sheet and Madison does nothing. But like, I just I just think, well, you know, this is a good opportunity to roll the transfer. The rest of the team is looking pretty decent. Caps and obvious, take it from there. The only thing um, branching into my team a little bit would be if De Bruyne did play the, the Copenhagen game and played the whole 90 minutes, I might be a bit concerned about Southampton, but where am I going to go? Am I going to go to Salah? Probably not. Am I going to go to Son? Probably not. So, I don't know. I, I think a, a role is probably best. I mean, they said the forwards have been terrible. The only, like, one thing I really wish, I really wish that Edouard was nailed at Palace. Yeah, so yeah, 5.3, yeah. um, and the fixtures, are, as Zaha owners will know, just just imperious, really, all the way up to the World Cup. They don't play any team um, in last year's top six. Indeed, all the way up to, well, 2023, they don't play a team from last season's yeah. top six. Very, very good. Even Maketa nailed would be one thing. Just one of them nailed. I just... Yeah. It's so un- it's so annoying that that slot is now ruined, but whatever, that's fine. So irritating. I remember last year I bought in Edwards on my wild card, and oh he, yes, I do remember that. Yeah, he was playing all the time, and then suddenly you know, Vieira just decided, yeah, you know what, out you come, Matessa, you go in. So there's just no way you can you can afford one of those players. So it makes you what makes you wish for Benteke to be back or something like that. But hey, I mean, you know, there's cases being made for the likes of you know, Daka. Ichinacho, all of these sorts of guys. But really, I think I'm just going to see what happens with Mitrovic and then hopefully, probably end up putting Jesus in in game week 13 for the Southampton game. I think that's probably where I'll end up going. So yeah, very uninspiring. Just we're just going to roll it and hope for the best by the sounds of it. But hey, who knows? European injury or something like that could poo-poo those best laid plans. Great. Okay. Well, this is AOB. I think that's basically everything, isn't it, Lucy? I mean, apart from mentioning that we'll probably catch in Harland again. Yes, yes. Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> well, I, I plan on Harland and Roll being my answer to all of the classic transfer and captain questions for the foreseeable future. Yeah, certainly makes sense. Well, um, that's your lot. Hopefully that was useful. Um, so we're recording a little bit earlier, had slightly less time to make notes, but hopefully still an interesting discussion, which I thought it was. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for listening. We were Who Got the Assist. You can find Tom on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL, or you can find me at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Great. Normal service resumes next week. Um, I think that the Monday night pitch is Noskin Forest versus Aston Villa. So maybe we'll be all hoping for a netto return, but a neko return, not netto return. No one wants that. Um, but we uh, will be back then uh, next Monday. Uh, in the meantime, have a really good week. Uh, speak to you after game week 10. Farewell. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.